Well, we are in our series in Ephesians, and we're, we're continuing that. We'll be in there till uh, about the end of this month. So we're finally in chapter 5, almost in chapter 6. It seems like we've been here for a long time. But uh, we're so grateful to be together looking at this text from Scripture. Well, as a college student, I had an opportunity to go on a Boundary Waters camping canoeing experience, and uh, I'll never forget it. If you've never been up to the Boundary Waters, northern Minnesota, it's an incredible experience, and, uh, and we, had a gr- we had a great time up there. Camping, canoeing, portaging was our deal, so we put in, and uh, on this particular exper- uh, time, a bunch of us college students went with a college group together from our church, and we put in, and I happened to get paired up with um, a girl girl in our canoe, um, and I, she had never canoed before. And so she was my canoeing partner. And uh, it was a very interesting experience because uh, canoeing, if you're not familiar, it, it kind of takes people working together to make canoeing work, you know? And so uh, I, I got in the back, and uh, she got in the front, and I thought, well, at least I can kind of steer this thing. And about every 20 seconds, I got splashed. We quickly fell way behind all the other canoes. I was frustrated. I was like, ah. And I could not, I mean, we were zigzagging all over this lake trying to get across it. And so finally, we pulled in after a long day of canoeing. We pulled into our campsite. Everyone was already there. The tents were set up. We were so far behind. I was so frustrated. And so we pulled up and we go to get out of the canoe. And she proceeds to just stand up and dump me in about two feet of water, you know, and I just stood up into like the two or three feet of water and just mad. And I thought, oh, I wish we could just get on the same page. And I was thinking about that experience today, about how frustrating it can be when you're not on the same page with somebody. And as we got into this text today, and as we look uh, in, into this passage in Ephesians 5, it, it reminded me that a lot of us have seen marriages that are kind of like my canoeing experience. They aren't on the same page. Um, a, lot, a lot of us have seen it, or maybe you've even experienced it. Every one of us who's married from time to time has said, uh, we are not on the same page in marriage right now, and it would be nice if we could get there. Today, what the Apostle Paul, as he writes this letter in Ephesians, is going to do is he's going to use this idea of partnership in marriage as a metaphor to talk about something else. And that's really important to understand today. In this metaphor that he's using marriage, in this metaphor, we can learn a lot about our relationship with Christ. We can learn a lot about the relationship between Christ and the church and about who we are in Christ. So I titled this message today, You Are a Bride. And, and let's be honest, um, you know, a lot of us guys get a little freaked out <laughs> by that kind of language. Um, and, and, you know, I, I get that a lot, of, a lot of us guys can't relate to that title because uh, we're not brides. But um, when I preached on this uh, similar topic back in our series, This is Church, a couple of years ago, uh, I don't know if you remember that, but we talked about the church as the bride of Christ, and Jess Savage happened to uh, Photoshop a picture of me onto a man in a bride's dress. <laughs> it was something that I hope will never be ever seen again. Um, but you know, it's like sometimes we think of something like that and go, this is just a weird metaphor, the church as the bride of Christ. And then, then there's a whole lot of single people who read this passage and go, what does this have to do with me? And now the church is always talking about marriage and this, but I'm single. What, how does this fit for me? And, and so if you're single today, I want you to hang in there because 
What you're going to see is we're going to talk a lot about marriage in this passage, but at the very end of the passage, Paul is going to say, I'm not really talking about marriage here. But if you understand the metaphor, which applies to all of us who are married, if you understand that metaphor, you're going to understand what Paul is talking about when we get to the end of the passage. So hang in there. Now, a lot of people come to this passage and we read this passage here in Ephesians and we see this word submit, and that's the only word that we see. Most people, you know, when they think of the word submit, think about the word uh, that has been stricken for most marriage vows now. I promise to obey, you know. I've done a lot of weddings and that has never been in the marriage vows anymore because that's what they, the, the, the misunderstanding of this word uh, it really permeates this in passage. It's almost impossible to read this passage without thinking through the misunderstanding of this word. And sometimes we think of it as obey, or, or, or sometimes we think of it in terms of a, like a father ruling his family with an iron fist and everyone submitting. But there are a lot of things in this passage that get completely overlooked. And I think it's really important that we stop and look at these together so we understand not what we think the passage says, but what the author Paul intended for it to say in the context of first century, the first century Roman world. So first of all, there's some things that are overlooked. Um, verse 25, husbands are called to love their wives. That's overlooked. Verse 32, he gets done with this whole thing and Paul says, by the way, I've talked a lot about marriage here, but verse 32, this is a profound mystery. But I'm not really, I'm talking about Christ in the church here. And so Paul even, as he's talking through this, sometimes we forget that the metaphor has a point and we miss it. The big idea that Paul has for us today, the thing he's trying to communicate the most in this entire passage is this. Marriage is important because marriage is a divine metaphor. The way as a husband and wife relate is important because it's a picture of, of how the church and Christ relate. In other words, more is going on in this passage than just a code of conduct. Marriage is important because it's a metaphor for something greater. The way a husband and wife relate announces to the universe the beauty and the mystery of how Christ and the church relate. So today, here's what I, I aim to do as we set out. I aim to do two things. First of all, I want to talk about misunderstandings within the idea of Christian marriage. I'd like to talk about that a little bit because the passage talks about it. But then the second thing I want to do is I want to help you see that marriage is a tool that teaches you something about your relationship with Christ. And whether you're single or married, if you understand what Paul is talking about in marriage, you understand something more deeply about your walk with Christ. So we are in this series called, Who Are You? Embracing Your Identity in Christ. And what, we, what I remind you of every week in this series is the reason we're doing Ephesians is because we want to be transformed in the image of Christ. We want to walk as a follower of Christ. And understanding who we really are, the world pounds at us with lies that we believe about who we are. We're consumers, the world says. You know, you're worthless, the world says. Or you're based on your performance is what will happen to you that's good. But Christ says something different. In Christ, we're given a new identity. And we want to embrace that. And when we do this, as goofy as it might sound to the modern ear, Paul makes a metaphor that says the church and Christ, if you want to understand that relationship, you want to understand who you are, you need to understand what marriage is really about. 
And as the bride of Christ, each of us have something to learn about our relationship with our husband, Jesus. So let's first examine Paul's understanding of earthly marriage. We're going to spend quite a bit of time here, and then we're going to show how that is a metaphor for heavenly marriage. So the section, first of all, we need to talk about, we need to see that this section really begins in verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There's so much misunderstanding about this passage. Let me put up, Doug, put up that picture there of the the text. Um, So this is often what your text looks like when you read it. You see verse 21. It's important to remember when we look at the Bible that the verses the authors didn't put those in the original writings, okay? They're notes to help us find our place when we're talking. The headings are notes that some ed- Bible editor has put in just to kind of help you find your place as you're walking along. And oftentimes when we read the text, we get distracted by these. We think a section starts or stops. But in this case, the, the, the section, I think they get it wrong here. Uh, in verse 21, you're going to see the word submit. And in... in, in uh, You'll see the highlighted there, Doug. Throw that next one up there. You see the word submit. It's highlighted there in verse 21 for you. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What's really interesting is in verse 22 when he says, wives, submit to your husbands. The translators of our Bible have added that verb submit there. It's not there because the ideas of 21 and 22 flow together. Literally, if you were to read this verse as it's literally written in Greek, it would say, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives to your husbands. These ideas, mutual submission is tied to how the wife submits and to how the husband submits. The whole passage is painted in light of mutual submission. Submit to one another in reverence for Christ. So let's just take the title out and let's just take that word out. And what we're going to see here is all of a sudden Paul has this beautiful picture of mutual submission in marriage. This is an amazing concept. Now where does this idea of mutual submission come from? Well, when we look at the text, Paul is painting an argument. And he's painting the argument. It starts in verse 18. Back in 18, he says, be filled with the Spirit. Verse 18, don't get drunk. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And he's going to use four modifying verbs that explain what that means. It means speak, speaking to one another with psalms, verse 19. Singing, that's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Giving thanks, he's modifying that word. And submitting to one another. So all of a sudden we see Paul is building an argument here and saying a life of someone who walks and lives by the Spirit is one that within the church It's a beautiful picture of mutual submission. The word submit is really interesting because literally it means to be subject. To place oneself under another. And and submit is a, a passive participle. In other words, it means this idea of something being done to you. But in this case, it's the idea of be subject. Make yourself subject. Allow yourself to be subject to one another. And Paul here is working right off the teachings of Jesus. This whole stuff doesn't fly in our culture. I don't want to be subject to anybody. You know, if, if someone makes me or forces me, if I have to pay taxes, I will. If they force me to submit to, you know, an officer that I don't like, I will. If I'm forced to submit to my boss at work, I will, but I don't want to submit. And what Paul says here is, 
basically choose to be subject to one another in Christ. Jesus said the same thing. If any of you wants to be great, be a servant of all. The Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. This is what the teachings of Jesus, this is how they apply. It's the same thing. Be subject to one another. Paul says, consider others more important than yourself. In Philippians, he says that. Wow. So um, I, I have two kids now that are going into marching band, and I had a flashback to my own marching band experience in high school. And uh, I had a section leader in marching band. Uh, I had two different section leaders a couple of, uh, of the years that I was in marching band. And, and uh, uh, when I was younger, as a freshman, I, I didn't know. I didn't even know how to walk in a straight line with duck feet. You can't really do that. And so, uh, you know, like I, I, I had a section leader who came alongside and he said, "Little here, let me teach you how to, let me show you, watch me, follow my example. He was patient with me. Uh, when I screwed up, it, it was just, it was a really good experience. In other words, he said, how can I serve you and help you become a better marcher? When I was a junior, I was, uh, I had a section leader who was completely different than that. He would, his idea for the freshman was to scream. If they were doing something wrong, he would just yell. He would scream at them constantly. And as a result, the entire section was in disarray all the time. And I was like, you know, that's a simple picture of the difference between Jesus' leadership saying, as your leader, I'm going to serve you and make you better. And someone says, I'm going to lord it over you and force you to do what I want. This is what Paul has in mind when he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The whole passage is framed by this concept of mutual submission. And in the church, we willingly place ourselves under someone else. Submission is mutual and beautiful in the church. So then Paul says, now, let me take this idea and show you how this works in marriage. If we're going to mutually submit to one another, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, let me show you how this works in marriage. And here's how. And the first one he's going to talk to is wives. Now, verse 23, we, read the, we already read wives submitting to your husbands. We take that word out of 21 and put it in 22. Wives to your husbands is to the Lord. Here's what it means. The husband is the head of the wife. Now, this idea of headship is just widely misunderstood by people reading this passage. Again, when, when we think of this word of headship, we think of one person's in charge and one person's a doormat, you know? We think of women being abused all over our culture. Many think of it's a devaluing of women. But you have to understand that that is not possibly what Paul meant, um, we don't understand the culture in which Paul was writing oftentimes. We just assume Paul was writing to America in the 21st century. We don't remember that sometimes that Paul was writing to a pagan, in, in the context of a pagan Roman world. And so what you, we need to catch is that the way the Roman world viewed women was vastly different than our culture views women. Um, my favorite commentator, uh, Klein Snodgrass, who... Not only do I love his name, he just does fantastic work. He reminds us that um, women in the Roman world were viewed as inferior and were given relatively little freedom. He says, uh, in most places they were allowed, 
if, if, if a girl child was allowed to live at birth, if that happened, women were minimal, minimally educated, they couldn't be a witness in court, they could not adopt children or make a contract, they couldn't own property or inherit, both were viewed, as, as Aristotle and Josephus said, both of those said that women were viewed in all respects as inferior to men. They were seen as less intelligent, less moral, the source of sin and a continual temptation. That is the Roman world in which Paul is writing. And we have to remember that in that context, Paul says some very different things in his letters to the churches. Look at uh, Galatians 3.28. He says, In Christ there is neither Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you all are one in Christ. So in the culture that Paul's writing, Paul just put men and women on the same value plane. He says our culture of elevates one is more important or more valuable than the other. And Paul, and Paul just put them on the same value plane. 1 Corinthians 7, Paul extended rights to women. In, in terms of marriage and divorce that would not have been available in the culture. All over, we see this. And there, Paul, in this context, one of the reasons that he writes Ephesians 5 is to explain this. Christianity was being attacked by the fundamentalist Roman pagans who said Christianity is trying to destroy the very fabric of our culture. And Paul is saying, listen, the most important thing you need to understand here is that the way the gospel works in protecting the reputation of the gospel, Paul is saying, I'm not interested in anarchy. I'm not interested in overthrowing a civilization here. What I'm interested in is, is marriage reflecting the beauty of Christ being the head of the church and mutual submission. It's really a very beautiful thing. So what does Paul say? What does he mean when he says the word submit? Well, look at verse 23. The husband's the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, of which he's the Savior. Now that as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Well, this is really interesting. This idea of headship is an authority, but look how Jesus exercised his headship. In the context of Ephesians, he does it in love. Everything is about how Christ loves the church. And the focus of this whole idea of headship is self-giving love, Christ for the church. And then what, what's so interesting is that he says, now as, the church, submits to the, as, as uh, the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. In everything is tied to verse, back to verse 22, as in the Lord. So here's what Paul is saying. Listen, okay, wives, if you're going to understand that your marriage is a metaphor, for, as part of your submitting to the Lord, submit to your husband. Well, that's really an interesting thing to say. Now, the wives get three verses in this section, but the husbands get a whole lot more. Because Paul is about to say, listen, this is what mutual submission meant for wives. Now let me show you what it means for husbands. How do husbands submit to their wives. How do they do this? Because this is not the doormat. This is not devaluing. This is not, uh, you know, forced obedience or forced subjugation. 
What does it mean to submit to one another? Well, it's really interesting that Paul, back down in verse 33, further explains what he means when he says to, to wives, submit to your husbands. However, he says, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Isn't that interesting that he flips the word? So what Paul's not interested in doing is devaluing wives or putting down women. In fact, he's, what he's doing is saying, Respect is what it means for a wife to submit to her husband. Now, let's go back and see what it, it means for a husband to submit to his wife. Because that's what he's about to do in the context of verse 21. Submit to one another. We don't talk about it in this way, but in verse 25, Paul is about to say, Husbands, here's how you submit to your wives. Love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Paul is very clear. Submitting to one another for a husband means to love his wife. How? Like Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He gave up everything for her. In the context, this was so strange for the Roman world to hear Paul say this. The Roman world would not have expected 25 and following to be in this passage. The Roman world has said, that's awesome. In the Roman cultural context, there were lots of instructions for wives, for children, for slaves, for indentured servants. They all had these codes of conduct that were often talked about. No one ever told the, the, the husbands how to live. No one ever gave them instructions, let alone the instruction, by the way, submit by giving up your life. This is powerful. See, the Paul is saying the Gospel requires something so much deeper than what we think of terms of authority and submission. The gospel calls for love and sacrifice. Mutual submission means the husband must love his wife by giving up everything. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So sacrifice, sacrifice means that the husbands love their wives by giving up everything. Husbands, your job is to emulate Jesus. Oh, I remember, I remember at my wedding, the pastor preached uh, from Ephesians 5, in this passage. And you know, all I can think about is Am I going to pass out? Right? I'm just up there. You can't really process at that moment. But I remember uh, popping the VHS in the VCR a year later, <laughs> which I don't even own a VCR anymore, but that's another subject. Popping the VCR, I went back and I listened to that sermon again. And it just hit me after a year of marriage. How can I do this? To love my wife like that? Oh. Husbands, our job is to emulate Jesus to our wives by loving and sacrificing everything. And when you put mutual submission in those terms, it changes our entire view of this. Because most people read this and they say, women submit and just do whatever your husband tells you to do. And no one says, husbands, do what's best for your wife every day, every minute, all the time. Sacrifice for her. You know, um, we do this, husbands, by giving up our lives like Christ did for the church. That's how he did it. You know, your life is not yours, husbands. It's 
It's your wife's. Put her needs first. Put her desires first. Give up everything for her. You know, so much of what husbands want, what we want sometimes, is not based upon listening to our wives. Uh, on Tuesday, I will be, have been married 19 years. And I have 19 years. Yeah, right. No, clap for Clarissa. Like, right. Uh, so, like, way to go. You know, so, uh, you know, so here's the thing. As I was thinking about this, I, I tend to uh, focus on, think about 19 years and think of all the mistakes I've made and all the things that, like, even in that comment, right? And one thing my wife asks me, Dave, quit putting yourself down. She always tells me, quit ripping on yourself. You're a great husband. I love you. Well, th- well, thank you. But, you know, like, that means a lot to me. And i got to stop doing it because I'm putting her needs first. And when I devalue myself, I devalue her. And it's like, ah, oh, do you know how hard it is to sacrifice everything for my wife? It's hard. This is what mutual submission is. I'm supposed to sanctify her. That's what the text says. Make her holy. That's what Jesus did for the church, cleansing her by the washing through the water, through the word. Like I got to set, I mean, that's what happens in marriage, guys. When we're married, we set our wives apart. We set, that's what, that's what sanctify or made holy means, is it means to be set apart. That's what Jesus did for the church. You want to see that, guys? When we're married, like, and we treat our wives like this, we set them apart and say, she's mine, and I'm going to give everything for her because she's set apart and special. We do this. Like, when we love them, verse 29, look what the text says. No one hates his own body. He feeds it and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church. So love your wives, verse, that was back in 28. Love them as your own body. Oh, when you sacrifice your wife, you make a picture of Christ in the church when you sacrifice for her. Husbands, and this is hard, and I wish I did it all the time, and I'm trying, and I'm working on it, because we show our wives every day what a real man does when he sacrifices for his wife. Now, let's put all this together, okay? So we tried to tear down some cultural understandings of this passage. We tried to t- and, and show it all in the light of mutual submission, that this is how a wife submits to her husband, this is how a husband submits to his wife, because of Christ, Husbands loving their wives, wives respecting their husbands. It's difficult for one to happen without the other, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't try. I know so many husbands who are saying, listen, I'm trying to love my wife, but she doesn't respect me, and so I can't love her. Or so many husbands say, or so many wives say, I want to respect my husband, but he doesn't love me or sacrifice for me, and it's really hard to respect him. Paul doesn't say, submit to one another if the other one submits to you. He doesn't say that. We can't quit. We can't give up on each other. If we do that, we miss the whole point of mutual submission. It's beautiful. Marriage is beautiful. So I asked uh, Jeff and Pam if I could share about their dancing class they took, and they gave me permission. Um, Pastor Jeff and Pam took a ballroom dancing class together. And uh, um, no, again, when you have duck feet, no one really wants you to step on their toes. So I've never done this, but they uh, are, have done this. And I learned a lot by listening to Jeff talk about this. And uh, see, the thing about a dance is when, like, you have to have someone leading. Just someone leading. It doesn't work if someone's not leading. But here's what I found out about when, well, first of all, I think 
Pam was probably a better dancer than Jeff, so it's probably hard for her. She's like, I want to do this. Uh, but as Jeff was telling me, he, there's one particular thing when they're dancing. Is, is this the right way? I don't even know. Okay, whatever. But so uh, there's one. If he, if he wanted Pam to go backwards, he didn't force her. Am I the right way? I don't, I don't even know. He didn't force her. He didn't push her to go backwards. He's supposed to just gently remove his hand from her back. And as she felt his hand pull away, she's supposed to go back. And that's the, I'm like, oh, that's a beautiful picture for marriage. You're not forcing. One's not forcing anyone anywhere. It's one saying, I'm going to lead. I'm going to take this, but I want you to want to come along. Oh, it's, it's a beautiful picture of mutual submission in marriage. I love it. You know, I, I asked Clarissa if I could talk about our marriage in this because 19 years, we, um, I, I always tell people we have a great marriage, but it's not an easy marriage. And so, you know, my wife, my wife is a, a wonderful woman, and, but she has, God has gifted her with some leadership skills. I mean, like this woman is amazing. I look at her, and she can give me leadership skills-wise a run for my money. Uh, she's just really gifted in that area. And, and the other part of it is uh, Clarissa is, is really not afraid to share what she thinks about something. And so when I was first married, I was constantly threatened by this. I asked if I could say that. By the way, I got permission <laughs> if I could say that. Uh, so, uh, you know, she, I was constantly threatened by this. Once I embraced it, once we figured out how to do this dance together, you guys, it's beautiful. I, I go, you know what? What she just said right there was amazing. Like, there, there she has so much wisdom. and so. Why would I not want to listen to that? It's a beautiful picture, I think, of mutual submission. And we're learning all the time. We're learning. We, uh, we're going away for our anniversary two nights, uh, tonight and tomorrow night. We're getting away from our kids. We're going to sleep a lot because uh, I'm tired. But, uh, well, you know, just if we don't have that time together to say we need to connect because we need to submit to one another out of reference for Christ, if we don't do that, it's damaging to our marriage. It's important that we continually work on learning how mutual submission in marriage works, how this dance works. All right, I got a little bit of time left. We're going to get to the second point. I told you this first one's going to take a while to get through. But we get in the text, we talked about earthly marriage, and then in verse 31 again, Paul says this interesting thing. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. He's quoting from the book of Genesis He's quoting right out of the Old Testament. For, leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. <laughs> this phrase just always baffles me when I get to this passage. I'm not even talking about marriage. I'm talking about Christ and the church. It's like Paul's got so into talking about marriage. He's like, wait a minute. Don't lose the big point here. The big point is not, I'm not even really talking about how a marriage function. I'm really talking about Christ and the church because Christ is, the mar- is, is married to the church. And so that's, it, that's why this metaphor is there. What Paul is really talking about, who you are in Christ. If you're married to Jesus, this is how it works. Paul is working on this metaphor. You know, back in Genesis, he was talking, uh, Paul reveals that God had in mind in Genesis to not just talk about a man and a woman, but also to talk um, about 
this ultimately what would be a relationship between Christ and the church. And it's really sometimes hard to understand how the church is united to Christ. Like a, I mean, even really when we talk about two being one in marriage, it's really kind of hard to understand. You know, I mean, we get pictures of the marriage, right? Uh, lately, the Vogue thing to do is mix the sands, you know, so you got two individuals and you mix two different color sands together and you can't, you can't ever pick those particles apart again, right? I mean, that, it's cool. Or the unity candle, we take two candles and we put them together in one. Like we have pictures of it, but it's really, uh, two becoming one is a mystical, crazy thing to think about, really. But that's what Paul says is happening with Christ in the church. The whole point has been about the way you see your walk with Christ. Jesus is not your butler, just someone to meet your needs. Jesus is not your hero, not just your hero. He is your hero, but not just your hero. Jesus is not just your representative here to fix your sin. Jesus is not just that. Jesus is also your spouse, and you are united with him. And this, now, we're going to go back to verse 21. Watch how this works. Verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So in other words, when you in marriage submit to one another, you're giving the world a proclamation that this is how it's supposed to work between Christ and the church. Jesus submits to the church. How? By loving and sacrificing. And who gave up more than Jesus? He gave up everything. And the church submits to Christ. Not always well. This church submits to Christ. The point is, the deeper your relationship becomes with Christ, the more you understand and can submit to Him. And this is the beauty of union with Christ. So uh, at Message Community a week and a half ago, we were talking about this concept of really this is just a picture of what Paul really wants to talk about in Christ and the church. And, and I was talking with Peter, and Peter said, made this connection. He says, you know, I understand my wife Megan really well. Over the, how long have you been married, Peter? Almost nine years. And over nine years, he says, I've learned, I, you know, I live with her every day. I talk to her. I get her. Um, and so he's like, I can anticipate what she's going to probably, how she's going to respond. I know what she likes. I spend tons of time with her in over nine years. I've learned to anticipate. And then Peter, and I asked his permission if I could share this, said something that was pretty vulnerable. He said, if only I invested in Christ that way. It's easier to submit to God when you know his character because you've invested in your relationship with him. Here's how we do this. Paul has already given us hints. Five, chapter 5, verse 10, find out what pleases the Lord. Know Jesus better. If we want to connect and live this me metaphor out, but because it's true of Christ in the church, as the church, we should know him better. We should follow his lead. Therefore, uh, verse 17, he says, therefore, don't be foolish. Understand what the Lord's will is. Be faithful. Now, that one of the Ten Commandments was have no other gods before you. When we're faithful, we say, Jesus is the most important. V uh, verse 26, he talked about, how do we do this? To Jesus makes the church holy, cleansing her by washing through the water. Be clean. 
Uh, you know, I, I, we used to have a big dog. You get, many of you heard me talk about our dog who now lives with Jeff and Pam um, because they're better parents for him. But, uh, you know, one thing I would learn when we had this big, huge dog is Riker um, loved to be dirty. Like he just loved to be, we'd give him, we'd take him down, we'd pin him in the shower, we'd give him a bath. It's, it was a whole process that involved the entire family getting wet, it seemed like. And uh, as soon as we'd get him out, dried off, Riker would try to, as first moment he could, run outside and he would find something disgusting to roll in. Like, you know, he would just run outside and just find dirt or grime or garbage and he'd be like, I want to I have garbage on me. And I, I, sometimes I feel like as a church, we do this all the time. We're like, we want to go back. We don't want to be the bride. We don't want to be cleansed. We want to be in our old stuff. And Paul's reminding us that to be a good bride of Christ, be faithful, be cleansed. But the last thing that I think as we think through the implications of all this as the church is that we would be on task. A beautiful marriage, earthly marriage, works when husband and wife are headed towards the same goal. And that is a metaphor, the way the church and Christ relate. When we're on the same page and heading the same direction, Jesus is glorified. We're on the same page. Be on the same page with your divine husband. And it's really kingdom work. It's really king. So when you, I, I try to paint a picture all the time, that, and we say it all the time, that Waukee Community Church is not just something that happens on Sunday morning or at your life group. Everywhere you go, you're the bride of Christ. When Clarissa and I are not together, she doesn't cease to be my bride. And as, as a church, when we're faithful to Christ, we're his bride wherever we go. So I would say husbands and wives, work on getting on the same page in marriage because it's a beautiful picture of being on the same page with Christ. And let us follow the lead of Christ and know him more and more. You are the bride of Christ and he is the perfect bridegroom. And that's why marriage is important. Marriage is important because it's a divine metaphor. Let's pray as the worship team comes back and we close in worship. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this passage. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you moved the Apostle Paul so many years ago to write a text that's so relevant for us today. Help us never to misunderstand this beautiful picture of mutual submission and Jesus, what I ask more than anything is that your church would learn, that we would learn to keep in step with you, following your lead, participating willingly and joyfully in your mission and work. We want to do that. We desperately want to do your kingdom work together. And so we ask for this. We pray that above all else, that you would be glorified in our midst. And we pray that marriages, God, that, that our marriages would be growing in this, that we'd be challenged and learn because it's a picture of Christ in the church. So we worship you today in the precious and holy name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.